Good morning. How's everyone doing? Good. Uh, a few announcements. One, we have Reformation Wednesday this uh, coming Wednesday. That is at 7 o'clock, so make sure you sign up on the Church Center app for that. Um, it is our first one of this year. Because of that, we are not going to have the ladies and men's Bible study Tuesday night because we really want to encourage everyone to um, come to the Reformation Wednesday and not have to maybe choose. Uh, so we're going to kick that off strong. Make sure you sign up just so we can get an idea for food on that. It's going to be really good. Um, also, this uh, weekend, the last couple of days, we've had our Foundations Conference. It was really good, wasn't it? Okay. Well, today's kind of like part three um, because uh, we're continuing it on and keeping with that theme. But since this will be the last time I'm up here because we have a guest pastor today um, preaching, I did want to give a shout out to a couple people that helped make the Foundations Conference possible. Uh, Jen Zapata with the children's program. Daniel and Ethan Olenichek in the audiovisual. Meg McNeil with the food prep. Jen Mittman on making sure all the food went smooth and was laid out. Raymond and Leanne with the conference booklets and putting them together. Mike and Margaret on the setup. And then my lovely wife on the decorations. And many, many other people jumped in and helped out, and, and we appreciate you all as well. And thank you. Um, that's who texted me all the names, and he didn't put his name in there, right? So Mike Smith, who really oversaw the whole thing. <clears throat> thank you, Mike. You did a great job. Well, today we are blessed uh, to hear from Dustin Meadows. Dustin was born and raised in Oklahoma on a cattle ranch and pretty much has been in ministry uh, from the time he was a young adult, and he has been uh, both in ministry near, so kind of stateside, but also far as missions. Um, he is blessed with a lovely wife, Candy, and they have uh, four children, 15, 12, 11, and 6. And we've been blessed to hear uh, from Dustin um, the last couple days. He is president and CEO of Disciple the Nations, that is an organization that he and his wife started four years ago. It is a missionary organization primarily, and um, it is very multifaceted. But one of the things that he has been instructing us with and teaching us the last few days and will continue to do today is how do we as a body of Christ, how do we as Liberty Church support and send well our missionaries? How do we minister to them both near when they're home and, and abroad when they're on the field. How do we make that happen? How do we make sure they're loved, cared for, shepherded, uh, shepherded and ministered to? So um, please help me welcome Dustin Meadows. Well, good morning. If you got your Bibles, turn with me to the book of 3 John, and we will get to work. I want to say thank you for the incredible hospitality you've shown me and my wife uh, over these last few days. It has been a true joy for us to have been here with you. 
Uh, I've, I've fallen in love with Liberty Church. I love to find a church body that is so eager for the gospel. Not only eager to have it, but eager to share it. And to see a church that is so eager, even willing to expend of themselves, literally from the body, to send out people from the body for the sake of the gospel is a beautiful thing. To gospel, uh, the gospel we get so much gain from, but for the sake of the gospel we are willing to lose. Even some of the best we have, Raymond and Leanne Cook, to the nations for the cause of Christ is a beautiful thing. And I am thankful because I, I pray through <coughs> this Last weekend, I pray it's really a start of a relationship between um, uh, us and Liberty Church where we get to serve alongside one another as we serve the cooks for as long as the Lord would have us. Um, and so I'm eager to do that with you. I have already been greatly blessed by watching you love and care for them, and I am just very eager to see what the years may bring. Uh, I pray for your faithfulness to continue to do that, okay? All right, so let's jump in. Uh, I, let, let's take a look at the, the book of 3 John. <clears throat> now, this is really an interesting book. This, this letter and the letter before it, 2 John, are actually considered to be the last final books, letters, written before they closed the canon, before the Lord was done. These books were written after the book of Revelation. We know that John wrote the book of Revelation on the Isle of Patmos around 95 or 96 AD and then while he was in exile. But after he was in exile, he got to come off the island and we believe Eusebius, the historian, is actually the one that tells us this, early historian, tells us that these books were written later. And it's fascinating to me to think about what did God keep John alive to tell the church for? What was the things that the, the Lord said John, you're not done until you write this. So we know that this is John's letter, 3 John, but we know that John didn't do this. This is done through John by the Holy Spirit to the churches. Not just to the churches of their day at the, in the first century, but to our church today. Right? To us today. The scriptures are applicable to us. Now, what these things do, if you look at 2 John and 3 John, they're fairly similar. If you, let's turn over, if, you, if you're not on the same page, to 2 John. <coughs> Here, John writes to the elder of the elect lady, this is a church, and her children, whom I love in truth, and not only I, but also all who know the truth. Because of the truth that abides in us and will be with us forever, grace, mercy, and peace will be with us from God the Father and from Jesus Christ, the Father's Son, in truth and love. So it's this love and truth thing that he is just so focused on throughout 2 John. 3 John is really the same thing. He is focused on love and truth. Now this is important for us. <clears throat> because churches, we are communities of faith. We are here together because of what Christ has done. Aren't we? 
I love being in churches. I, I, I love the local church. I, I've always loved the local church, but the Lord has really softened my heart over the last dozen years or so towards the local church. Early on in my ministry, I was just angry at the church and tried to help her see how, how foolish and failing she was. But the Lord has softened me to let me know that he is loving his bride and redeeming and purifying her. And uh, I see so many amazing things in the local church. One of my favorite things is to just recognize so far apart most of us are. You look different than me. I look different than you. I talk different than you. You look and talk different than each other. I don't know if you've looked around. Have you looked around? No, they're kind of different. You come from different backgrounds. You come from different, um, probably, financial statuses. Stratuses? Whatever the word is, I don't remember. You come from these different things. Why are you all together in one building? Because of what Christ has done. Because of the redemption of God. Because of the gospel. So, see, as recipients of the gospel, we love one another. Because we recognize that we were loved unjustly. We did not deserve this. None of us comes to Christ and thinks, well, obviously he wanted to do that. Right? He couldn't stand to, to be without me. Right? That's just so silly. This idea that he saved us because we're great is just anti-Christian. Christian, you're not awesome. But Christ is awesome. And he comes and redeems. And because of this redemption, we now not only have, we're partakers of relationship with him, but we're also partakers of relationship with others who have also been redeemed. And so we get to come together as a church and in love, care for one another. In love, worship the Lord together. But it's not love that will reject truth. It's not that. Because of the gospel, we recognize that there's only grace and love found for us in Christ. That's the only place. The only way that God has chosen to love the world is in Jesus. It's the only way. He can't because of his holy nature. It, he has to love us through the perfect sacrifice of his son. It's the only way. And so, when people say that we want to come in here, but we want you to forget that gospel stuff, but you still love us this way, we can't do that. This is why John talks about love in truth, and truth in love. You can't forsake Truth for the sake of love, and you can't forsake love for the sake of truth. We can't do that. One thing that John is, and this is what my prayer has been for me for the last several years, is that God would make me both tender-hearted and tenacious. Because that's what John is, and I, I think you'll see this in the book of 3 John. He's tender-hearted and tenacious. Read 2 John and just count the number of times he says the word love. And then count the number of times he says the word truth. It's all over it. It's all over it. Same thing in 3 John. <coughs> so, before we go much farther, let's stand. And I'd like for us to read uh, the first 10 verses of 3 John. 
the elder to the beloved Gaius, whom I love in truth. Beloved, I pray that all may go well with you and that you may be in good health as it goes well with your soul. For I rejoiced greatly when the brothers came and testified to your truth, as indeed you are walking in the truth. I have no greater joy than to hear that my children are walking in the truth. Beloved, it is a faithful thing you do in all your efforts for these brothers, strangers as they are, who testified to your love before the church. You will do well to send them on their journey in a manner worthy of God, for they have gone out for the sake of the name, accepting nothing from the Gentiles. Therefore, we ought to support people like these, that we may be fellow workers for the truth. I have written something to the church, but Diotrephes, who likes to put himself first, does not acknowledge our authority. So, if I come, I will bring up what he is doing, talking wicked nonsense against us, and not content with that, he refuses to welcome the brothers and also stops those who want to want to and puts them out of the church let's pray father we're grateful for your word and we're grateful for the gospel we're grateful for the way that you have loved us and redeemed us in the perfect sacrifice of your son lord we acknowledge that we are not worthy of grace and mercy but god we are so grateful that you in your great grace and mercy saw fit to pour it out upon us. And Father, as recipients of it, we recognize that we have an opportunity to share it, to share the great news of the gospel to others. I pray that you give us a very practical way to do that through this text today. For I ask in Christ's name, amen. You may be seated. Whenever I go to a place, I, I like to learn a little bit about the history because I'm kind of a, I'm a missions nerd. I don't know if you can tell that, but I'm kind of a missions nerd. And I really like to look at when the gospel goes to the place. I, I don't know how the gospel came to O'Fallon. I, I know uh, ultimately what had happened. Somebody obeyed the Great Commission. Right? That's how it happened. I can tell you the first time the gospel came to the Meadows family it was July, I mean, sorry, June 6th, 1948. June 6th, 1948, my grandparents who were war, in the World War II era uh, were in a wagon and they had bought some property way out in the country on a cattle ranch and they had got on a wagon one night and there was a, a man that had traveled through and he was going to be preaching a tent revival in High Hill, Oklahoma, which is not on any map, okay? <laughs> Technically, it was East High Hill, Oklahoma at the time. There was a West High Hill, but that hill, I don't know what happened to it. <laughs> but in a wagon, they went and listened to a man by the name of Jake Brady preach the gospel. And they had been married a few years, had two little children, and on the ride back from the wagon, my grandmother, in tears, thinking that my grandfather was going to divorce her, looked at him and said, I have got to go back tomorrow, and I've got to be saved. I know you may not like that, but I can't help it. She said, there was nothing but quiet 
for a few minutes as she was afraid to look at him. And as she finally got up the courage to look to see what he might thought about that sentence that she just told him, <clears throat> she saw my grandfather cry for the first and only time. And he said, me too. The gospel came to the Meadows family by Jake Brady. The gospel continued through the Meadows family because of Ralph and May Meadows, who faithfully taught their children, who faithfully started taking their children to church whenever it was open, who were founding members of High Hill Missionary Baptist Church, who kept the doors open when nobody else was there to keep the doors open. This is how the gospel came to my family. How'd the gospel come to yours? I don't know. But I understand why, and you understand how. The Great Commission. Now, here's the thing that I'm so thankful for. When uh, I, I buried my grandfather a few years back, 2018, he was 99 and three quarters. And the stories that we had heard over and over was by the preachers. Uh, Jake Brady, matter of fact, when they planted that East High, uh, High Hill Missionary Baptist Church, Jake Brady would bring in pastors to come and preach to them. And he would take them to Ralph and May Meadows' house. And he said, whenever you're here, this is where you go. And my grandparents, for the you know, 70 years, 73 years that they were married, had preachers in their home all the time. She fed every one of them. Preachers, missionaries, evangelists, everybody that was coming through were there. <clears throat> and I just heard story after story of this. Now, I think maybe because of my history of seeing that and growing up in that and realizing that, it's weird for me to see places and people who are happily ready and willing to receive the gospel, but they really want it to stop with them. They have an inlet for the gospel, but no outlet for the gospel. And that just doesn't make sense to me. Because by the very nature of being a recipient of grace, by the very nature of receiving and hearing the good news of the gospel, when we were hopeless and helpless to save ourselves, but God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive together. Right? To hear this great news... And to say, that's fine, let's not let anybody else hear it. It's just, it's odd for me. But I've seen it. I've seen entire denominations say, let's back up on the love and truth of the gospel for the sake of just getting along. And they become useless. <coughs> See, the fact that we are recipients of redemption means, and we recognize in that, by the very nature of the gospel, we recognize that he is still redeeming. So here's my point. Dustin, what are you trying to say? I don't know. I'm trying to figure it out. No, here's what I'm trying to say. Missions is a team sport. The gospel is not a spectator sport. I don't understand how people can be recipients of it and think that they can just buy a ticket and watch it maybe happen. Because that's not the way it is. By the very nature, since we have been redeemed, 
since we have been so invaded by the love and grace and mercy of God through His Son, we are compelled, the love of Christ compels us to go. The love of Christ compels us to teach and to preach and to proclaim the good news that the only hope in the world I've found in Christ, you can find it too. One of my favorites is Robert Murray McShane. Robert Murray McShane talks about trying to describe Christ to people that don't understand it. And he said it's like climbing over a thousand miles of desert, over hills and mountains and just nasty, arid, dry desert, and finally coming over a mountain and seeing this vast ocean and just bathing in it, just seeing it and savoring who Christ is. And he says it was like bending down in that ocean and cupping everything he could and walking back over the thousand miles and proclaiming to dead people, can't you see? Can't you see how glorious he is? This is, to me, the way someone who's a recipient of grace ought to be. Can't you, can't you see? And so it's baffling to me that people will claim that they know Christ, but are like, well, if you don't want to know him, that's not a big deal. It, it just doesn't compute. Is it just me? I'm talking to me today, apparently. The point here in 3 John, John who is so tender-hearted yet tenacious, tenacious for the gospel, tender-hearted because by God's grace he knows that this gospel is not just for the Jews first, but also to the Greeks. And it is the power of God into salvation to everyone who believes. He knows this. He's seen this firsthand. And so he's tender-hearted because he recognizes the grace, but he's also tenacious because he knows that it's the only thing that can save. And so he comes to this little church, writes this letter to this man named, named Gaius, whom I love in truth. I want you to note he calls him, he says he loves in the truth. He calls him beloved in verse 2, beloved in verse 5, beloved in verse 11. It's a very loving letter. But here he says this, that because of this truth that we so love and we so protect and we so proclaim because it is the only hope, right? You understand it's, it's not just any Jesus that saves, it's only the biblical Jesus, okay? Which is why we care so much about truth, which is why we can't just be tenderhearted and not tenacious. With me? So he says here that because of our recipients, and we recognize we're recipients of redemption, we realize Jesus is still in the uh, redeeming stage so we are agents of this. We don't just sit back and buy a ticket. There's no such thing as armchair Great Commission ministries. We go to work. Now he says to, to Gaius, 
it's not just those that are going that gets to work. God calls every person, every recipient of redemption to now become an agent of redemption as we go forth as an ambassador of it. Right? We are all called to do something. And so here he says, and he tells um, Gaius, he said, these brothers are going, if you, if you notice in verse 5, these brothers, strangers as they, as they are, these are traveling missionaries. They've come through and have met with this church, and the church has done a good thing by sending them along, by supporting them in their work. And here John says, it's a good thing that you've joined in this because it's not just the goers that do this. Other people have a role. There's, again, no such thing as an armchair or Great Commission ministry. You have a role to do this. They can't go unless they're sent. <coughs> Think of everything that requires to be sent. If you were to get up and to walk across this room, do you realize it takes dozens of muscles, dozens of bones working perfectly together just to take these steps across the room? It takes 60,000 miles of blood vessels moving millions of cells to the right places just to get you up on your feet. Now, I didn't actually measure that. I'm taking a doctor's word for it, okay? I don't know who has that kind of time to do that. But we recognize they can never be sent unless they're first caused. They, they, they can never go unless they're first caused to go. And we recognize God is the great prime mover. Right? God is the first that moves. He moves so much more than just the feet. Too. He does all of this. We see this in Acts chapter 13 when Paul and Barnabas are sent out as the first missionary journey. Acts 13, 1 through 5 says, Then after fasting and praying, they, the church, laid their hands on them and sent them off. This is verse 3, sorry. So being sent out by the Holy Spirit, they went down to Seleucia, and from there they sailed to Cyprus, and when they arrived at Salamis, they proclaimed the word of God in the synagogues of the Jews. And they had John, Mark, there to assist them. So notice something. When God sends his people, because of the gospel, because he is still redeeming a people for his great namesake, he is sending them, but also using his people to send them. But notice he sends for a reason. The scripture there says, so the word of God could be proclaimed. That's why they're sent. Why do we send missionaries? Not because we want them to travel the world. Not because we want them to have a full passport with lots of stamps in it. We send missionaries, it's because through them that the truth goes to the nations. Gaius here and his church loved these brothers, strangers as they are, not because, I guess this is something we're supposed to do, but because this is for the sake of the gospel. This is for the sake of the great name. That's what the text says, does it not? They have gone out for the sake of the name. Fun fact for you. 3 John is the only book in the New Testament that does not mention the name of Christ. But he is all over it, isn't he? He's all over it. So we see that mission requires both going and sending. Mission cannot be going and spectating. It can't be. So the church, in full agreement with God, 
as the Holy Spirit sends, the church sends. And individuals do this too. It's not just corporate action, but individual action. We all have parts to play. I hope you see this. I hope you recognize you have parts to play. You have disciples you need to make. They might be in your home. The home is one of the central forces that God has chosen to evangelize and disciple the next generation. So you need to be working in your home to disciple your children and your grandchildren or your nieces and your nephews. Or if you don't have any of those, adopt some, whether you truly adopt them or not. Find kids that aren't being evangelized and discipled and evangelize and disciple them. If you have kids and they have friends, evangelize and disciple them. Invest in the next generation. We have parts to play. There are brothers and sisters. You have neighbors around you. There are people you need to connect with and you need to love on. Not love at the expense of truth, but tenaciously and tenderheartedly. You need to love on. We all have roles to play. We each have a different but equal, equally vital responsibility. This is what the Bible calls gospel partnership. One of my favorite texts when, when we became missionaries became the book of Philippians. Because Philippians chapter 1 says, I thank my God in all my remembrance of you, always in every prayer of mine for you all, making my prayer with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. And I, I just love seeing this. How Paul, the great missionary, would say, this is not my ministry. Cooks, I recommend you never, ever say, this is my ministry, right? This is our ministry. Because arrows, like we talked about this weekend, arrows are useless without a bow. Unless they're in the hands of Dan, right? Dan can do it. But the rest of us would need a bow. And so, <coughs> we need partners we need partners. Missionaries are not more important than the church or the senders who stay behind. This text, John chapter 13, I want to read to you. Verse 16 says, Truly, truly, Jesus says, I say to you, a servant is not greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. Jesus said this when he the creator of the universe took a towel and bent down on his knees and started washing his disciples' feet. It was here that he said, the messenger is not greater than the one who sent him. Right? So church, look at me. There are not those top tier people in the Great Commission ministries that are missionaries and the rest of us are just spectators. They're not greater than the ones who sent them. They can't be sent without you. I promise you, if the cooks call me in three weeks from now and say, Liberty Church won't back us, they can't send us, they won't send us, then they're not going. They never buy their plane ticket. Because I would send them for ultimate failure. And I won't do that. They need you. They need you. It's not that they're greater than you. You need them too. Because you're called to get the gospel out of here to the nations. 
And God has sent you a, pla- a, a people that will help you do it. Isn't that glorious how he's done it? So sending is required. And God is honored when the church and individuals send well. And he calls, calls us not just to send, but to send well. So let's look. I want you to see this little paragraph. Let's do some exposition for a second. Verses 5 through 8, so pregnant. But here John writes to Gaius and says, and he commends him basically for his service to these missionaries. Now Gaius loved missionaries. And John loved Gaius. And God loved Gaius as well because of this work. Beloved, it's a faithful thing you do. Well, all right, let me talk for a second. Note here throughout this text, before we jump into into it, I want you to note how this is not just a verbal profession, but these are practical actions. Serving and sending a group of missionaries is very practical. (coughs) He uses this term that's a present tense in verse 5, and it indicates that this attitude that Gaius and this church had was of open generosity that is continuing, and that John is counting on Gaius to go on with the good work. The way he says this text is like, you're doing this continually, and you're doing this in a way that we don't believe you're going to stop, and and John writes it in a way that he goes, I encourage you not to stop. This is an ongoing, continual thing. So note here, sending well is the Savior's will. I'll show you, there's really 10 things in this text that I see. There's probably more. But note here, he says, it's a faithful thing. (laughs) It's a faithful thing. We as Christians ought to really care about being faithful. And we need to be faithful not just in the little things, but the big things, right? Or not just the big things, but the little things. Right. So it's a faithful thing. Let's be faithful. You're doing all your efforts. These are worthy efforts. Church, I want you to see. Your efforts that you will spend and expend of yourself to love and serve your missionaries will be a worthy effort. Number three, I want you to see it's an act of love. Now, this is interesting because it's a double act of love. It's not just love that the church and Gaius the elder had for the missionaries, but it's a love that they had for the sake of the name. Ultimately, again, it's not just because of the cooks that you're doing this, but it's because of Christ. Even in the first century, note this, even in the first century, in the in the 90s, mid to late 90s of the first century, our brothers and sisters in Christ were talking about living their lives, being faithful for the glory of His great name. You understand that we didn't just invent this on the way here. This is a historical thing. This is historic because we sit with brothers who have gone on before us, a cloud of witnesses that have continued this. The story has not changed and will not change. 
we live and work for his great namesake. Okay. The brothers in the first century, brothers and sisters in the first century, were thinking of ways to get his great namesake, the gospel, to the nations, even then. We're not doing something new. And that encourages me greatly. Number four. They considered this a purpose that they wanted to achieve for their very time. John here just says, you will do well. You will do well. We want to achieve this. This is a purpose that we feel needs to be fulfilled. <clears throat> Number five, they recognize not just in their sending, but in it's how they send that matters. He says, you will do, them well, do well to send them on their journey in a manner worthy of God. So it's not just we sign the check, you guys go. Right? It's how you send that matters. In a manner worthy of God. <clears throat> it, they considered it a support for a worthy cause. They've gone out for the sake of the name. They see that it's a service to advance that worthy cause for his very name's sake. <clears throat> This church recognized that it is not something that non-believers will do. They can't do it. They won't do it. They're blinded to this purpose. And so the church doesn't even look to unbelievers for help. The missionaries don't even look to, for unbelievers to, for help. They accepted nothing from the Gentiles. See that? The mission is God's mission. And it is done through God's people. Only. Now, here's the crazy thing. God's mission is done through God's people to make more of God's people. Yeah. I, I've met one billionaire in my entire life. I'm, I, on certain days, am a hundredaire. So... <laughs> pretty pretty cool but i did meet one billionaire in my life and he gives away 90 percent to the work of the ministry that he was lost for a long time it's fascinating to me because this man single-handedly sends out 400 brazilian missionaries every year single-handedly by himself it is fascinating. Now, watch the crazy thing. You go, well, we can only send one. As the gospel goes forth and God's people increase, God's resources through his people increase. So you might look right now and go, well, we can only do this. Well, I don't know if it's even worth it. Trust me, it's worth it. Because you don't know who God might bring in through the sharing of the gospel. You don't know how he might do it. It was fascinating to meet this brother who kept everything for himself, hoarded money to himself, and now because of Christ, he was looking for ways to share Christ with the nations. Right? It's beautiful. He does not support us, so... <laughs> 
<laughs> yes. Look at ver, uh, number nine. This is a holy requirement. We ought to support. Therefore, we ought to support people like these. This is our role. Number 10, I want you to see this is our role in the Great Commission and Advancement of God's Kingdom. Unless you were going, you understand your only role is to be a sender, not a spectator. John Piper says, I told you this yesterday, but John Piper said you've got three options when it comes to the Great Commission. You can either go, you can send, or you can be disobedient. My hope for today is that we take disobedience off the options on the table. That you find a way to realize in your life, not just, oh, we only sin, we only are going to pray for him, we're only going to give, we're only going to, none of that. You're finding ways to make disciples where you are, and you're finding ways to make disciples in other places, even if, you, if it's only through the cooks that you can do it. But you find ways to obey him, obey the Great Commission, to be a part of the redemption of more people for the sake of the great name. We must support our brothers like this. <coughs> now watch what would happen if a church failed to support these people. Watch. Gaius in the, New, in, the, in the New Testament times has these missionaries come through to their church and the church looks at, what are you doing? This gospel that came to you, we're taking it over here. That's what we're doing. And for the church to go, we're just not really sure if that's a really important thing to do. What, what would that do to the testimony of Christ among the nations that are unbelievers? If they were to look at it and say, it's not even worthy for them to make sure the gospel gets to us. You know, one of the saddest stories I've ever heard was a group of new tribe missionaries were in Papua New Guinea sharing of the gospel with a brand new tribe and when they heard the gospel you know the first question that the leader of the tribe said was what took you so long you understand the gospel's only good news if it gets there in time but secondly what does it say if we're not really urgent about trying to get this to the nations we say we don't believe it and if we say we don't believe it, they will see it and they'll go, well, then we're not sure why we should believe it either. One of the greatest testimonies for these missionaries, when they arrived to the places, the people that they went to saw that they were well sent. And they recognized this must be important. I hope the, the, the people groups that Raymond and Leanne go to See how well sent they are, how well prayed for they are, they are. See how well encouraged they are. And they say, this must be important. Amen. So every Christian has a responsibility to work for the cause of truth. And the extent which we are prepared to do so, whatever it may, be, may cost us, may well be the most reliable indicator of the true depth of our believing it. say you believe it God has given you a great opportunity to prove it so do you bestow honor on God 
in how you treat missionaries, in how you love them, in a manner worthy of God, in how you seek to advance the, tr- the truth through your church or through your individual stewardship and service. Are you bestowing honor on the Lord? Now, notice something. Gaius wasn't even the sending church. He was just a supporting church. That's okay. They did it. So this starts, Third John starts so tenderly, doesn't it? Beloved, it is a faithful thing. Such an encouragement. I wish I could stop there, but I've got to show you something else. Church, you've got to be aware of diotrophies. Let's look in verse 9. I've written something to the church, but diotrophies, who likes to put himself first, does not acknowledge our authority. So if I come, I will bring up what he is doing, talking wicked nonsense against us, and not content with that, he refuses to welcome the brothers and also stops those who want to and puts them out of the church. Now, Second John is really written against these deceivers that come. He spends a long time at the, at the first part of Second John encouraging them, I love you in truth, he says. I love to see you walking in the truth, he says. But he says there are some that are coming that are trying to deceive. And Third John really follows the same pattern. I love the way that you are doing this. I love the way that you are serving the Lord. I love the way that you are uh, committed yourself to the Great Commission ministry by being sending, uh, a sending agent for these missionaries. I love that, he says. But then he also brings in a warning. (coughs) So it's not all encouraging. He does, at this point, show a stark contrast from the efforts that Gaius put into it between the efforts that Diotrephes put into it. The church had generally wanted to be senders, but there was somebody there that did not want to be a sender of these missionaries. He did not want the gospel to go forth through them. He did not want it to cost things of himself. Diotrephes was a dominant personality, aren't they always? (sighs) Dominant personality. They rejected, Diotrephes rejected John. They rejected John's messengers. He slandered the apostle himself. He says he is talking wicked nonsense against us. Could you imagine John, the beloved disciple, and you want to go around behind his back saying, don't you think that guy's a jerk? I just could not imagine that. What gall. But then you know what? I've seen people in churches It's amazing how the enemy will send in wolves, isn't it? I praise the Lord that John is not just tender-hearted, but he's also tenacious. And he is not prepared to allow the self-centered ambition of a man like Dotrephes to fester on inside this church and go on unchecked. This is why we can't just be tender-hearted. We must also be tenacious. So, let's see what Diotrephes does. He likes to put himself first. Let's remember Colossians chapter 1 that says Jesus Christ should be preeminent. That means should be first all the time. 
There's absolutely no situation that we need to say, hey, Jesus, you need to step down a couple of notches. We need somebody else to be. There's no situation there. Now, watch me. Watch me. In your self-centeredness, which we are all prone to do, so many times we think we're better than this person right here. You right here, I think you need to step down because, look, I'm here. This is not what happens in self-centeredness. I want you to know exactly who you're pushing to the side, and that's Jesus Christ. Whenever you push yourself to be first, you're saying, Jesus, it's not really about you right now. We don't recognize who we really compete with when we're being self-centered. You think Diotrephes had some gall to talk about John. Let's talk about our gall when we're self-centered to push Jesus out of the way. This work for the sake of his name helps us to not put ourselves first. We recognize who must be preeminent. Notice something here. There's absolutely zero said about Diotrephes having bad doctrine. Nothing said. But trying to stop the advancement of good doctrine is really bad doctrine. If you try to stop the spread of the gospel, it proves that you are anti-gospel. You see, there's only one ever who can have preeminence in the church, and that is the head, the Lord Jesus Christ himself. And the true Christian leader, the true Christians, are the ones whose life reflects that in their life. One of my favorites is John the Baptist. John the Baptist, in his life, he settled the glory question. See, the question about you and me is who in our life is going to get the glory? Are you going to live for yourself or are you going to live for someone else? And John the Baptist says, John 3.30, he must become greater, I must become less. He must increase, I must decrease. That is, should be our posture all the time, shouldn't it? This is Diotrephes. He said it backwards. Diotrephes said, I must increase. He must decrease. I wish I could tell you that Diotrephes and those like him were extinct today, but they're not. I actually read uh, a little article written by a man named A.T. Robertson, which I'm not saying you should read him, but uh, he wrote a very small essay, and he published it in a little, small, regional, denominational paper. Not a big, little, small, regional, denominational paper, okay? And he wrote about the man Diotrephes, but he didn't actually name Diotrephes. He just said, let me tell you about a man I read about, right? And then he writes this letter. And in this, <clears throat> after he did this, there were 25 different deacons that actually called the paper and canceled their subscription stating that they resented the fact that the paper allowed someone to publish an article that publicly and personally attacked them. Some of you in here may find yourself in this portion of Scripture. See, my question to you today is, which one are you? Are you Diotrephes or are you Gaius? Or better yet, 
Let me ask you, which one will you be? See, I want to know more senders. I'm thankful I get to know a lot of, a lot of goers. I, just, I have a really cool job. But I want to know more senders. I want to know the people like Gaius who send missionaries in a manner worthy of God. That's how I want to see. I hope that you guys want to be Gaius and you want to serve well. I want you to know that you have an opportunity to pray and serve from someone right here in your church. They need a support team. They need to be prayed for, cared for, supported, encouraged, financed. But I want you to see it's not just about finances. I hope you remember that. There's a huge difference between being fully funded and fully supported. Fully funded is a small portion. Do you know that today there's over 40,000 missionaries ready to go on the field, but they can't because the funding's not there? I really shouldn't say the funding's not there. You know, for every $100,000 a Christian person makes, most of them give, on average, from all Christians, they say that less than one penny goes to missions. It's not very good. We don't understand the call. We found this thing normal to be recipients of grace and to just stop it right there. Instead of to be ambassadors for it. There are thousands of people groups that do not know the Lord. And you can't reach them all. But here, just like these guys recognizes, there were some missionaries that came to them and they had an opportunity to serve and send through them, to be a part of the Great Commission through them. You can't send every missionary. You can't send all 40,000. It's not your job. But I know one you can. So, get involved. They need a diversity of gifts to be able to love and encourage and join them in partnership so that they can accomplish their task. But you understand that the church is central to it. And church... You're going to be a church of 3 John. And I hope it's from verses 5 through 8 where Gaius is talked about instead of Diotrephes. I pray that you're blessed by the word this morning. I pray that the word gives you a very specific and, and practical way that you can move forward for the sake of the gospel, for the sake of his great name. You know, my favorite is verse 8. For doing this, he says, you are fellow workers for the truth. You may never get on a plane to go to Malaysia, but you can reach Malaysia by being a fellow worker for the truth. Let's stand and pray. <coughs> Father, I'm grateful for your word. And I'm so grateful for Liberty Church. So, so thankful for their hearts. For their willingness to sit under your word and to have your word be their authority. Lord, I'm thankful that you put things like this in the text. So that we don't have to guess what we should do. 
You've taught us. And Father, I pray that it has been you and not me that has taught their hearts this morning. God, that your spirit would move and awaken and convict and also empower to do your will among this church. God, please have your way here. Please have your way. For this I ask in Christ's name. Amen.